0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Table Talk. This is a podcast of the Florida United Methodist Church Beloved Community. And in our podcast, we talk about race, inclusion, and topics related to race and inclusion. And it's good to be with everyone. Today is Wednesday afternoon. For all you who are retired and don't don't know what day it is, it's Wednesday afternoon, January 24th, 2024. And I'm, I'm recording, actually, from the University of Central Florida. My name is Erwin Lopez, and I'm the co-chair of the Beloved Community, along with Alice Williams. And today, we will be expanding our knowledge about the Palestine-Israel situation through the lens of an imam. So Imam Sykes is going to share a presentation with us, and after his presentation, there will be a time of Q&A where you can ask questions. But if you want to ask questions in the chat while he's sharing, go ahead and and do that, and we'll get to your questions in the chat um during the q a section Um, a little bit about imam sykes he is a founder of the islamic society leading american muslims he completed his undergraduate degree in psychology at the university of north carolina his masters of religious service from the graduate school of islamic and social sciences in virginia he also completed a masters of social work and has a graduate certificate in marriage and family from the university of central florida go knights and he's also served 11 years in, in the North Carolina Department of Corrections as a chaplain, and he strives to, bu- to build bridges of peace, dialogue, and understanding where, where all men and women who serve the living God can come together to a common ground in pursuit of peace, freedom, and justice for all. So, we're very excited that we have Imam Sykes with us today to share his perspective on Palestine. And I hope that today will build empathy, will expand our knowledge, and will give us a new perspective, an important perspective on what's been going on for many, many years. So, Imam Sykes, thank you so much for your time. Um, the floor is yours, and we're honored to, to spend this time with you.
1: Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Lopez. Um, I begin in the name of Allah, the most merciful, the most compassionate. And again, it is indeed a pleasure to be with all of you today. I see some beautiful faces that I've known for many years up there on the camera, uh, some for like 20-some years. I won't call any names, but he used to be the uh, chief pastor at, uh, well, should I say it, Bill, or Oops, I said it. Uh, It's a pleasure and it's so lovely to see you, Bill. Um, I shout out the highest accolades for the Florida United Methodist Conference, the Wesley Foundation, at UCF and the great work that is being done by you, Pastor Lopez, uh, and I shared that on Monday, I made a presentation on Palestinian liberation at the Coronado Community United Methodist Church here in New Smyrna Beach. So we are out there um, diligently trying to educate people from the lens of a Muslim and a an Imam. So I have been asked today to talk about the Muslim perspective on the occupation, hear the word occupation, situation between Israel and Palestine through the lens of a Muslim and an imam. So as an imam, I must begin with what the Quran says about Palestine and Jerusalem. That is where we as Muslims get our perspective. Now, some might choose to use an opportunity on this platform to promote and defend a toxic political nationalist ideology referred to as Zionism. But I come not as a politician, but as an Islam practitioner and an imam. So let's begin by looking at the old city of Jerusalem and in Islam, it stands as the third holiest site after Mecca and Medina. We are enjoined to go and visit these holy sites. Al-Aqsa is the name given to the whole compound and is home to two Muslim holy places, the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. So let's turn to the Quran, chapter 5, verse 21. Allah says, O my people, enter the sacred, promised, holy land, which Allah hath ordained, designated, assigned, and prescribed to and for you. This is how Allah speaks about the land of Palestine, Jerusalem, and Al-Aqsa. God speaks about them as the land of sacredness and holiness. If we turn to chapter 17, verse 1, Allah says, Holy is he who carried his servant by night from the holy mosque in Mecca. To the Father's mosque in Jerusalem, whose surroundings we have blessed, that we might show him some of our signs. So these verses refer to a part of the journey of our beloved prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, that he had when the angel Gabriel took him, peace and blessings again be upon him, on al barak from Masher al-Haram to Masher al-Aqsa, the temple, and into the heavens all in one night. Jews, Christians, and Muslims are to honor what God calls blessed and sacred. We are to honor what God has said, internalize, and materialize that. God is the one who attributes or assigns holiness and sacredness to things on the earth. Jerusalem, in the Muslim perspective, is God's city, the city of God the entire story of Islam is embedded in the Holy Land. Ibn Abbas, a renowned Muslim scholar said, every single inch, every single centimeter of that land was touched by either a prophet or an angel. And that is why for us, Jerusalem, the Holy Land, is a deeply sacred, spiritual and theological reality that must not and can never ever be stripped from the heart of someone who believes and loves God, Jew, Christian, or Muslim. But before I go there, I must point out that the sanctity and protection of all life is a fundamental value and objective in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Interestingly enough, there's a chapter in the Holy Quran called Isra, and that translates to mean children of Israel or the Israelites. It's chapter 17 and verse 33. Take not the life of any human being which God hath made sacred, except by way of the law. Thus doth God command you that you may learn wisdom. So we've talked about God declaring that place as a sacred and God declaring as a sacred place humans as sacred. The sanctity of human life is accorded a special place in the Muslim perspective. In chapter 5, verse 32, we ordain for the children of Israel that if anyone slew a person, unless it be for murder or for spreading mischief in the land, it would be as if they slew the whole of humanity. And if anyone saved a life, it would be as if they saved the life of all humanity. My beloved brothers and sisters, that's 9 billion people. To take a life without just calls is like killing 9 billion people. And to save one is the same in the Islamic perspective. According to Abrahamic religions, namely Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Human it's beings, not the bishop. Human beings exist on the earth for a common purpose. And they have all matrilineally and patrilineally descended from a single couple, Adam and Hawa, Eve. The Quran unambiguously mentions in chapter four, verse one, O oh, humanity, reverence your guardian Lord who created you all from a single person, created of like nature its mate, and from them twain scattered like seeds countless men and women. Reverence Allah through whom you demand your mutual rights, and reverence the wounds that bore you, for Allah ever watches over you. It is incumbent upon human beings to live together in peace rather than in constant hostility to fulfill the purpose of their existence on earth according to God. The Arabic word Salam, from the trilateral root Sin-Lam-Mean, means peace. It originates from the same word as Islam. To conjugate a verb into a noun in Arabic, we add mu. So I'm gonna do better than Rosetta Stone. I'm gonna have you conjugating verbs before the end of this program today. So think about it, salam, and put mu on the front of that, you get muslim. So a muslim is supposed to be the doer of peace. My Jewish brothers and sisters say shalom, a Hebrew word also meaning peace. Chapter 6 of the Holy Quran, verse 64, says, Say, O people of the book, come to common terms as between us and you, that we associate no partners with God, that we erect not from among ourselves lords and patrons other than God. Who are these people of the book? Chapter 2 in the Quran, verse 62, tells us those who believe in the Quran and those who follow the Jewish scriptures, those who follow the Jewish scriptures and the Christians and Sabians, anyone who believes in God and the last day and work righteousness shall have their. Work. Reminds me a little bit of the verse where Jesus said there will be those from among us that will not be of my fold. But I have to ask this very important question, and I ask God to open the spiritual ears and eyes of our hearts as we turn to ponder and reflect deeply this question. Is the Israeli occupation conflict about the people of the book that I'm talking about? Is it about these people? Are these verses referring to the toxic, nationalistic political movement referred to as Zionism? Or is it referring to Jews which follow the 10 commandments and over 600 laws? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not covet another person's property. Thou shalt not steal their land. Let's operationally define two terms for the purpose of today's lesson. Judaism is a monotheistic religion mentioned in the Quran. Zionism is a nationalistic and political movement of Jews started by Theodore Herzl, who was an atheist in Europe in 1897 for the establishment and development of a state in Palestine. And that sounds like a political agenda to me. From this Muslim's perspective, the creation of the state of Israel has been a settler colonial land appropriation and confiscation enterprise by Zionism. What happened on October the 7th did not start on October the 7th. It occurred after 75 years of oppression, controlling a nation, taking land from its people and injuring and killing the Palestinian Jews, Christians and Muslims in that land. The Jews that I know have known and have known for many years are mentioned in the scriptures I used above. If you go into an Orthodox Jewish community in Argentina, Australia, Canada, Cape Town, the UK, the US, Vienna, or Switzerland, you will not find an Israeli flag. In the Orthodox Jewish calendars purchased in Jewish neighborhoods, there is no mention of when Israeli Independence Day arrives. Would a practicing Jew, Christian, or Muslim deprive lives, which God has set are sacred, of electricity and water and then say that they are able to rule themselves? This is ludicrous. It's preposterous. Despite over 70 years of Muslim and Christian Palestinian oppression, Jews live safely and securely in Muslim countries elsewhere with their institutions in Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Iran, Iraq, Yemen, and Turkey. Unlike the Palestinian Christians and Muslims in Jerusalem and Palestine, the Jews have only had soldiers near them when attending the changing of the guards at Buckingham Palace. When I was in Jerusalem in 2019, my bubble was continuously filled with Israeli soldiers and guns of mass destruction, not the kind of weapons that hang into people's living rooms of America that hunt deer. So I asked the question, do you think what is going on in Israel is decreasing or increasing anti-Semitism? A Jewish rabbi recently told me that Israel brought back that term and made it fashionable again where Jews were safe. He told me about walking in his Orthodox community and being assaulted, something that had not happened before this time. Anyone who is against the created state of Israel is called an antisemite. Meanwhile, the founder of Zionism, Theodore Herzl was an atheist. This doesn't describe the people that I mentioned from the Quran. And I believe with all my heart that Moses and Abraham, those prophets would not have agreed with what's happening in the sacred Holy Land. Israel and the Zionists have spun their propaganda so well that if one says something about this nationalistic, toxic political movement Zionism, then they are accused of being hating the followers of Judaism. I love people of the book. They have rights over me. And as a Muslim, I am allowed to marry a Jewish woman or a Christian woman, but I'm already married. So that's not possible. Hamas has declared openly many times we have no problem with the Jews. We have a problem with occupiers. If the Jewish people want to live a peaceful life, they are welcome. Zionism is nationalism, and that is not the same as Judaism. Non believers built Zionism. Therefore, Herzl's son, Theodore Herzl's son, did not get circumcised, which is one of the basic covenants of Judaism. Even non-observant Jews referred to often as cultural practice circumcision. Our father, Adam, sorry, Abraham commanded it. Ben-Gurion was also an atheist. So what we're talking about here is not something built on divine revelation but the desires and the egos of men who did not even believe in the God that established those religions. Zionism is built upon atheism, not trusting in God and God's fate. Judaism is built on trusting in God. The Zionists are not believers according to the faith of Judaism. Orthodox rabbis have repeatedly told me this. So it is the Zionists who want to steal this sacred city of God. Zionism is in total opposition to Judaism, diametrically opposed to Judaism. Judaism is believing in God. Zionism is misbelieving and mistrusting God. Zionism is against all the monotheistic religions and against God. According to Jewish law, robbing, Taking one's land and killing people doubles and triples the crime. It is written in the 10 Commandments that we should not covet the goods of another, that we should not steal and that we should not kill. Unreservedly and, and uncontestably the Islamic civilization throughout history always treated Jews well. In fact, I have to say this for context, to, for what I'm about to say, better than the Christians, actually. When the Jews were driven out of Spain, they came to the Ottoman Empire, and the Jews were brought back to the Holy Land by Salahuddin al because the Crusaders had expelled them. Jews had a golden history in the Muslim countries. The golden era of Jews in Spain overlapped with the golden era of the Muslims in Spain. Nowhere in history is there a Jewish golden era with a Christian golden era and please in the question and answer if I'm wrong, correct me and forgive me. Many Jews are calling for the dismantling of the state of Israel. It is shameful and unacceptable that after all that hospitality, that a toxic nationalistic group claiming to be Jews would do what they are doing to Palestinian Muslims and Christians in that sacred holy land. The Council for Judaism is not the only American Jewish organization ever formed for the specific purpose of fighting Zionism and opposing the establishment of a Zionistic state in Palestine. If the Muslims were enemies to the Jews, I challenge you with this question. Wouldn't they be retaliating and killing the Jews in their communities and all of those countries that I mentioned that they are flourishing in and have their institutions in? Muslims are not the enemies to the Jews. They are enemies to the occupation. In closing, I want to share a story. In 2019, I took a trip to Jordan and went by land to Palestine, to Sebastia. I went to Petra, and I asked God in Mashed al-Aqsa, God, let me spend a night in occupied territory. We have to be careful what we pray for. And so I'm on a tour bus. And I'm going to the Dead Sea, which by the way is considered distasteful for Muslims unless you have an ailment. I'd had a stroke and cancer. I had a lot of ailments, so I went to the Dead Sea. In the bus, the doctrination that was being given, the propagation that was being given by the tour guide was that Israel was the only true democracy in the world, at which point As a social worker as well, I'm biting my tongue to the blood is shooting out my ear. I know that I have to be careful what I say. The guy then comes to me and tries to sell me another tour. I was not interested. He did not like that. He tells me when we get to the Dead Sea, if you're not here at four o'clock, I'll leave you. I said to him, what will happen if you're not here? To which I received no reply. As a result of that, I lost my hotel room that night. I called a very dear friend of mine who owns AFC. Instead of KFC, AFC, Arab fried city. And I said, brother Marwan, I need you. I have lost my room. He said, oh, brother, don't worry. I got a room for you. What he meant was he was going to take me and let me sleep in his home in Ramallah. What I experienced going through the cross gates, being separated from my wife, I had a stroke. I cannot lift my suitcase on the x-ray machine. They came out with a machine gun and held it to my face and said, pick up that suitcase. It did not matter to them that I'd had a stroke. The very next morning, my friend's 15 year old daughter went to school. And within one hour, she was back home with a video that she had taken of a 15-year-old girl being shot by the Israeli soldiers who had done nothing. It's all on the video. I immediately sent that video to Bill Barnes, who organized a meeting with six delegates. And we met with, I think it was Bill Sanders at the time and uh, Val Demings, trying to educate people about what's going on in Palestine. Everywhere I went, I was treated with disdain, like a second-class citizen. I was even asked, what are you doing here? I said, my name is Abdulrahman. I'm here because I believe there's one God, and Muhammad is his messenger. So it is so incumbent upon all of us to read books to understand the difference between Judaism and Zionism, to understand that this doesn't only affect Muslims, but it's affecting our Christian brothers and sisters as well. Dr. Atak has written a great book on this subject as well. I hope all of you've read it. So again, I close with these words, or I enter into the session of question and answers that will be emceed. God willing by Laurie or Reverend Lopez. Muslims are not the enemies to the Jews. They are enemies to the occupation. Thank you and God bless you all.
0: Thank you so much, Imam Sykes, for your time, for your courage, because I can empathize of how difficult it must be to continue to share this story and how triggering it must be to share this, so thank you for your courage. As folks share their questions in the chat, I have some questions because I'm looking around in in our room and I'm looking at who's here and we have college students, we have pastors, we have retired pastors. And so my, my question is, the first question is, what can the United Methodist Church do? What can the leaders do? what what is something practical realistic that we can do in our churches
1: the first and foremost is education and i say this with all of the love in my heart because i think the majority of christians are unaware that this is affect how many christians this is affecting and this is why i encouraged the book um, from Dr. Atik. um and forgive me, I'm not remembering the name of it right now. Um, but education is power, and and we the second thing we need to do, and I will go to any of your churches. I will go and make a speech at any of your churches, and I think and forgive me if I'm putting you on the spot, Bill. You can call me out. I think Bill would uh, vouch for. I think Bob is on here. Um, I think he'll let you know that I'm safe. I'm not a radical, but I will give you a radical welcome. The second thing we have to do is we have to contact all of our representatives. Don't ever miss an opportunity. Every single time I can write a representative, send an email to a representative, make a phone call to a representative. If we were to bombard them, if every Christian in America and every Muslim in America And every Jew in America that does not believe in this hijacking of this land were to use their voice, it would make a difference because there is
0: power in numbers. That's the
1: two things that I think we most need to do. Palestinian
0: theology of liberation. Thank you for that response. That
1: book is the Palestinian theology of liberation.
0: Palestinian theology of liberation.
1: Excellent, yeah, by Dr. Naeem
0: Atik. Atik, maybe. Excellent. I'm going to put a link to that book. Um, As we answer this question, we have a question from Juanita. And she asks, did the issue start when, with when World War II leaders decided to create a state of Israel from the Palestinian land, leaving Palestinians with a very small portion of what used to be their land?
1: That's a great question. Um, As I said, this problem started 75 years ago. Um, I would say that Great Britain had a problem and they wanted to get rid of it. And so America took it on in uh, in an abundant way and started funding this political agenda. So you could say yes to that question, absolutely. And the maps are so powerful. The lecture that I did on um, Monday here in New Smyrna Beach, uh, if people just look at how they have slowly just chipped away, it's mind-boggling. It 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 cannot affect the heart of a spiritually healthy
0: person. I believe I found the book here that you're referring to, Imam. It's a, a Palestinian Theology of Liberation by Naim Atzik. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, I'm going to put a link here in the chat for anybody who's interested. Um, we have another question here from Stephen. He asks, in your experience, how are Islamic societies doing recently in Florida? Are they experiencing more prejudice lately?
1: If you look on uh, Sheikh Google or Reverend Google or Imam Google or... You will find how much law enforcement are dealing with the hate crimes of Muslims now. Um, 9-11 increased eyes looking at Muslims, and this event has too. Somebody recently, I was walking, and I was talking, probably apparently too loud, Um, And somebody made a rude comment to me and told me to go home. And I said, but that wouldn't be hard for me to do because I'm from North Carolina. Seven generation. So um, my wife is a hijabi. She covers like the mother of Jesus covered. And she gets a lot of flack um, as a Muslim.
0: I have a question. Thank you, Imam Sykes. I have a question for you. Um, I've been doing some interviews with some folks that offering different perspectives. And one of the ongoing themes is that there is a difference between many of the Jewish people and the Jewish government um, and the Israeli government. And I think you touched on that a little bit. And so with that in mind, I was wondering if you could expand a little bit more on your perspective of Hamas. Um, because we have a lot of different narratives. And so we're wondering if you could offer your perspective. Anyone who kills
1: outside of the law, unless they are defending themselves. Murder is murder. Unless you're defending yourself. So when I'm lecturing in colleges and prior to COVID, I was doing 200 lectures a year. I often say that there's no such thing as a Muslim country in the world today. And they all look like this. And I say, there are countries highly populated by people that call themselves Muslims. But if they were truly Muslim countries, there would be no fighting where there are children, where there are elderly people. This is, these are the laws of Islam. So I was talking to someone from Homeland Security because I did work. I'm not ashamed of it. My life's been threatened. There have been contracts out of my life and and there probably will be one after today. Um, But I was working with Homeland Security to identify people that might be radicals in the community after 9-11. I happened to land in DC four minutes after the so-called plane hit the Pentagon. I was investigated by the OIG and the FBI. So, to come back to the question, remind me of the question again. I tend to go on a.
0: <laughs> you're good. Just, no, I think you've, you've been answering it. And I wanted, wanted you to expand a little bit more on your perspective of Hamas. Hamas. Right. So,
1: what do all groups do after 75 years of oppression? The Prophet be upon him, said oppression is worse than murder. And so, of course, you're going to retaliate. If your lands have been stolen, you can never go back. You will never get the keys back to your home. So, is it right? No. But it wasn't right for the KKK. None of the Christians in this audience today would like me to use the KKK to compare what Christianity is. So, these groups are being triggered my body memories that have been going on for 75 years. I believe in nonviolent solutions. I do not believe it. But when you talk about Hamas, you do have to look at predominantly a group that is being propagated in America as equal to the Israeli army. And if you were to just go into images in your computer and type in Hamas military and Israeli military, you will see that the military of most of those members of Hamas are rocks being thrown at a tank. And I use that metaphorically, but you can't compare. I'm not good with numbers, but I think it's 14 trillion. And please, somebody correct me in the chat if I'm wrong, that the US is sending there every year of our tax dollars. Hamas in no way, shape, fashion, or form can be compared to that. I hope I'm going in the direction that you were looking for in terms of answering your question. But this person from Homeland Security said to me, Imam Sykes, we don't need to worry about you Muslims nearly as much as we need to worry about the skinheads in this country. He said the problem is like a mud hole in comparison to other pro- This is what you said to me, in comparison to other problems in the world. But propaganda and fake news and ignorance is our biggest enemy. One time I was called on a panel, Reverend Lopez, and I was told that I would be on this panel with a rabbi and I would be on this panel with a Christian minister. And that night, when I got ready to leave, I was inspired to take, obviously, an environmental friendly shopping bag and put eight of my books from my library of almost 3,000 books with me that night. And I had no idea what was going to happen. The rabbi started by saying, I'm proud to say that I'm a Zionist. And I was shocked. When it came my turn, I said I was misinformed. I was invited to this platform with the understanding that I would be speaking to a rabbi, a person of the book, a Christian, a person of the book, and I would be speaking a person of the book. So really what we should do is we should read these eight books that I brought tonight. And then we should ask the rabbi to bring eight books about Judaism, because that's what we're here to talk about tonight, and the Christian minister to bring eight books. And then we should come back and have this meeting. So this, again, is ignorance. People don't know. I remember sitting with a one of the most intelligent ministers I have ever known, a graduate from one of the military schools, the great military schools in America. And when I was sharing this with him, he did not believe me. When I talked about the Balfour mission and I talked about history, he did not believe me. But two years later, he came and he asked me to forgive him. He said, you have truly enlightened me. I had no idea. I hope that answered your question about Hamas.
0: (laughs) Yes, it does. And it also begins to answer another question that was presented. and, and, And this comes from Stephen. And he asks is it relevant to draw parallels between Zionism, Christian nationalism, and perhaps Islamic fundamentalism? And I would throw in there, I wonder what role colonialism is playing in this as well. So can you answer that question?
1: I can. Uh, First of all, Christian and Israeli Zionism, if we want to call it that, are in each other's pockets. This is the way I see it. I could be wrong. There could be information I don't have, but they're in each other's pockets. They're one and the same. I don't compare that to Islamic fundamentalists. I would compare Islamic fundamentalists, and I, I'd want, I would ask Stephen to, to define what that means because it does have a few meanings, but it, just coming off of reading the question, I would talk about the fundamentalists as being like the fruit of Islam and the nation of Islam, they believed that Fard Muhammad was God incarnate, but everybody in the South thought that they were Sunni Muslims. Um, the KKK would be a fundamentalist organization that claimed to be Christian. I don't think any of you would like me to say that. Am I on the right track, Stephen? Um, are we using the same definitions?
0: Stephen, I'll be open if you are available to go ahead and unmute yourself and you can expand on your question if you're there. I can't see your video, so you would just have to go ahead and, and do that.
2: Hi, uh, sure. Um, yes, yeah, thank you. You're I, so
1: welcome. Uh, I just wanted to be fair and right.
2: Yes, no, no, and I appreciate that and I appreciate I was listening very carefully to your description of, uh, Zionism, um, because I'm really, there's a lot that I don't know. Um, and so, so even when I, if I use the term Islamic fundamentalism, uh, I would want to use it as someone who says, I've got a lot to learn about this. I don't, you know, I don't like to put tags on people, um, on others. I want to listen first. What I will say is that as a Christian, as as a United Methodist, I actually feel some responsibility to have an understanding of what Christian nationalism is. And I think it's a deeply uh, uncomfortable issue for us as Christians to talk about and to identify Um, and uh, I I think we're quite reluctant and to do that, and it, it pushes a lot of our buttons. Um, so, uh, for example, I even you know to be a Christian fundamentalist, for example, uh, I might think that that just means that I'm orthodox and that I uh, have faith in the fundamentals of the church. But I actually think that term is used much differently. <laughs> And there's some quite uh, subtle and, I would say, sinister aspects to what's playing out in this country under the guise of Christian nationalism. So I would just say, collectively, as Christians, we're not doing a very good job of dealing with that. It's, you know, it's pretty close to the bone for us. So I'm all ears, you know, I don't pretend to have this figured out as to either what uh, Zionism versus a faithful uh, expression of Judaism is, and I probably know even less about uh, about the various voices in Islam.
1: Well, I, I really appreciate your your braveness, your courageousness to ask that question. Um, you know, there's a lot of propaganda out there among Christian Zionists that Jesus Christ will not come back until the third temple's built. Well, God promised that you can't be a Muslim without loving Jesus. And we believe that Jesus is coming back. This is in the teachings of Islam. And so this whole ideology that's being spun out there, there are people that have written and they point out how these scriptures are being taken out of context, just like some of the jihadists take the scriptures out of context in order to justify what they're doing, just like the KKK took out of context to justify what they're doing. Um, So we love Jesus and Jesus is gonna come back, whether there's a temple built or no temple built or anything else happened. And I'm looking forward to that day, if I'm still here.
0: Thank you, Imam Sykes. And thank you, Stephen, for clarifying your question. I hope uh, Imam Sykes answered your question. Um, I will say that Imam Sykes has been very generous with his time. And so I put a link to his website if you have any questions for him. Um, he has been very responsive. And I, I, I encourage you to invite him to your church, invite him to your small groups, um, so that we can continue to expand people's knowledge, open people's minds. Imam Sykes, you mentioned something that I, I think is very important, and that is the role of media, the role of media. And so my question for you is, where do you get your news? Uh, Where should we, you know, what is a new outlet that we can get our news from?
1: That's a great question. I get my news predominantly from amnesty, um, from nationally recognized, credible organizations uh, that I feel I can trust. I do not get my news from Google and places like that typically um, because that's going to usually be fake and it's going to be, I mean, you know, you have to understand that organizations as big as Zionism, they, they have plenty of money to buy the algorithm so that if you go into the computer and want to look up something, it's going to take you to their propaganda because they bought it up. They bought the media space. So my news really comes, like I said, from national organizations. Um, I count on them to keep me informed because I do run a practice to support our ministry. Um, And I don't have as much time to read. My, My ideal world would be sitting on the beach and reading for five or six hours a day. (laughs) <laughs> haven't got there yet.
0: <laughs> no, we need you, we need you here. We need you here sharing with us. Um, so maybe five hours in the beach and a couple hours with us per day. That'd be good. We, yeah. have, a, <laughs> like we have a question here. What about NPR, BBC? What about some of these mainstream um medias?
1: I listen to NPR. I i listen to BBC. Um, I will say this, and I'm glad uh I think it's Juanita. My not, my eyes don't work with that small print, but I forgive me if I'm saying your, your name wrong. Um, absolutely. Uh, I will listen to NPR and BBC. European news, any news outside of America, I trust more than the American media. So if I can find any kind of news that's outside of the country, I find that to be more trustworthy than the American media.
0: I was wondering if if you were able to put a link to some of these um, media sources that you use, um, these national organizations, amnesty organizations that you you share, that'd be very helpful for us, I think. <clears throat> I, um, I'm going to do
1: this if I can, Reverend Lopez, Pastor Lopez. If I were to send those to you in a separate email, would you be able to distribute that afterwards?
0: Yes. I'll distribute that. I'll include you in that as well. And
1: and if I could make one precursor to what I've said, some of the news I read I read to let me know what the others are saying though. And so uh I, I sent about four things to one of the ladies that attended the meeting that I did on Monday. And she sent it because one of the groups was talking about Biden's participation in this. I'm not a political person. I started off my speech that way. I am an imam. I'm a Muslim. I'm interested in a preserving a sacred place because I love God and I love what God loves and I hate what God hates. And uh, so if anything I send you turns out to be political, that's not why I'm sending it to you. But we have to be political when it comes to advocacy. We have to bombard our so-called representatives to the point that they don't want to hear from us anymore. Let's get rid of these people. We've got to be as loud as the trillions of dollars that this country is sending to another country. We've got to outcry that money and what that money's doing.
0: I I love that quote. We have to be political when it comes to advocacy. Everybody wants to be apolitical, but they, you can't do that if you want to be an advocate, if you want to be an ally. I love that quote. Um, I have a question for you, Imam. I know we have about eight more minutes with you, if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. Okay. My question for you is more of a personal question than I, I think many of us deal with is that whenever we're trying to share a different perspective on Israel and Palestine, specifically, you know, in line with what you're saying with our family members or with people who've been indoctrinated by this zionism it always comes out uh, the the ways received or the the way that people respond is very aggressive very aggressive very judgmental um just think about my own family members and how have you been able to deal with that over the years any advice for those who are just beginning to speak up beginning to use our platforms
1: um as all of you know i'm busted i have a hard time not crying when things are being done that hurt the people i love that things are being done that don't please my lord so i have developed a thick skin while asking me god don't take my heart away from me let me remain passionate in my work for you. So it has, you have to pray a lot because your family really, one of the blessings when you stand up for what God wants you to stand up for is very humbling. You will be humiliated. You will be persecuted. And you cannot do this work without it. Jesus, nor any of the prophets, we're not persecuted for standing up for truth. But my Quran tells me to stand up for justice, even if it be against myself, my parents, the rich or the poor, God is able to look after all of them, And our calling, I deem by God, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is to stand up for what God has told us to stand up for. And we just can't fall. We need to pray that our faith is increased that we would have an increase in faith that would cause us to have courage to address the elephant in the room. I mean, I just came back from a week in North Carolina and I was in a thrift store with my 88 year old mother. And this guy walked up to me and began to address because he saw me with my wife, hijabi she had stepped away and he started telling me how stupid one of our politicians is and how bright another one is. And obviously I did not agree with him, but I remembered the great words that come from your Bible. Don't cast your pearls before the swine. (laughs) Know where you are. Know your congregation. You've got to meet people where they are but you look for that window of opportunity. You pray for that window of opportunity. that God will open up somebody's heart so that they can know the suffering of the Christians and Muslims in Palestine, people of God, and the Jews that are being killed as well and hurt. I don't want to leave anyone out. They are all people of the book whom I have a right to respect but I cannot respect anyone who steals a people's land and kills people and covets what somebody else has. I think God would not be happy with me.
0: Thank you for your answer. And again, I want to thank you for your courage. You're a very courageous person and you're teaching us courage, how to be courageous to stand up for, for what is right. Um, as we close here, um, I want to highlight the work of Lisa Bender. She is posting some information about the kairosresponse.org. I want you to encourage you to check them out. I also want to highlight the work of Partners for Palestine. This is actually how we got connected to Imam Sykes through Suzanne Holder, who is a, a friend and a great leader in our denomination and in our conference. So I want to encourage you to um check out their websites and and be involved in this way reach out to Imam Sykes um and so in closing Imam I was just wondering if you could just leave us with some closing words
1: may I have a prayer instead
0: absolutely
2: gracious, gracious creator
1: We pray for knowledge, correct knowledge. We pray for strengthened, reinforced, fortified hearts and faith, and that you will loosen our tongue
2: and allow us to stand up for your people. God, I humbly ask
1: you to bless every single person that's in the front lines doing this work to bless the Methodist Conference and Church and Pastor Lopez and all of the folks that participated in this event today. I thank you for every opportunity
0: to serve. In the name of the Creator, we pray, amen.